You're listening to the How and Steve English podcast, a comfy place to talk about all the great and not so great parts of teaching ESL abroad. I'm Steve, and I've got Hal here too. Howdy. Today we're talking with Rhett Burton, who's been an ESL teacher in South Korea since June 18, 2002, where he worked at academies, public schools, and currently owns and operates a study room. Hey, 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 hey. Stay tuned. All right, before we dive into this awesome interview, shameless plug time, talentsofenglish.com, teacher membership, go get it. We've got games. We've got a bunch of cool stuff. Let's go there. Tree for months. If you don't like it, you can quit. All right, shameless plug over. Red, thanks so much for coming on here today. Yeah, no problem. I enjoy talking to people about uh, living abroad, teaching abroad, and uh, making a lifestyle out of it. Yeah, I think... You're one of the original folks here. I mean, there are a few people that are still here who have found a way to move through the different states of life abroad and, you know, just build a nice little, a nice little life for themselves out here. You know, I like how you said find a way because, you know, nothing ever comes like in a nicely gifted package. Like you really have to like find all the assets and resources and information and people and and you need to like wrap it up for yourself in a way that that re like resides with how you want to be wherever you are in your life at this present moment and i've had tons of different challenges to overcome but all in all it's it's been it's been quite the ride that's a really great way to put it as well i mean you've really got to go out there and take ownership of what you want to achieve yeah, it's something that I really didn't like when I first arrived here was that a lot of teachers, they think uh, this is just my, you know, my 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 gap year job or this is just a job or a position I'm going to take for a year and then I'm going to move back to the real world. And they always said real world, real world. And I was like, well, what if this does become your real world? Then what? You know, it's like you need to like take action and become responsible for learning new skills right from the get-go because you you have a whole year to learn a lot about yourself and who you want to become in the near future or either even further down the road now before you came to korea where were you living <laughs> well uh i i grew up in a small town of 200 people in saskatchewan i'm as i'm as small town as it as they get but i did moved to Calgary to go to university so that was the kind of the welcoming to the city life but then you know moving to Seoul it was it blew Calgary right out of the water so what did make you move to Seoul yeah <laughs> job <laughs> well you see okay in 2002 when I graduated from university I had a tech degree I was I was geared towards getting a job in a in the tech industry but at the same time there was a big bubble burst at that time and there were no jobs for people with no experience and I was sitting on a mountain of debt and I was really lost on what I wanted to do and I wasn't exactly sure I wanted to subscribe to you know the typical corporate lifestyle and I wanted I needed a break from it because I had a lot of stress from school and from getting grades and paying back this debt and then my friend called me and said, man, I just got a job in South Korea. I love it. And I think, you know, this kind of work would so suit your personality, would so suit your characteristics and whatever. He said, come on up. You, you can pay off your student debt in, in a few years. You'll have fun. And I'm like, whoa, 
you're telling me that I can move to South Korea and get a job doing this, sign me up because I didn't know what I was going to do at home. So 2002 Red. Now in 2002, that was before Facebook, that was before social media, that was really before anybody was able to communicate on the internet freely and openly about these different experiences. Oh, yeah. That seems really scary to go out and move to a completely different country for a career that you weren't yet prepared for. How scary was that? Because you knew your friend, but it still must have been really scary. Ah, you know, I didn't really think about it like that. I thought about it uh, in terms of like how much fun would it be to go do something I've never thought was possible. Back in 2002, you know, things, it wasn't, <laughs> very few people moved abroad to teach. And to me, that just, that just sounded like something so offbeat that I had to do it. I had to try it. Yeah, that's great. That's the opposite of me. I was very scared. But so how was that process? Did you prepare all your paperwork? Was there somebody who recruited you? How did you go about that? Uh, I... What happened was my friend put me in communication with his boss. I talked to his boss one time and said, yeah, sure, I'll take the job. It was really that easy for me because I just really wanted to go. I didn't think about whether or not the boss was good or bad. I didn't think about whether the school was good or bad. If my friend who was there at that school would vouch for it, then, then I had nothing more I needed to know other than when can I come? Now, how old were you at that time? <laughs> 22. <laughs> oh, that's a great age. You know, 22 is like, when I think about it, it's like so young, so naive, so full of like, like, so full of like ideas of what could be done. And it was just awesome. And, and I didn't really fear anything either. And that could be a bad thing. But Now, on the day that you left home, can you remember what your experience was and what, what your mindset was as you're saying goodbye to your family? Did you think, oh, this is my gap year? Did you oh, yeah, it was see me in a year. I'll see you in a year. Don't worry, Mom. I'll be back 365 days later. Really? Oh, yeah, I only plan to stay a year. Oh, so a lot must have happened in that first year to make you stay. <laughs> World Cup happened. Yeah, so what was your first day like? So how <laughs> was that flight, and then what happened when you arrived? Well... I'm a Canadian and I'm not actually that big into sports. So to me, I didn't really know what to expect from the World Cup, from Korea with the World Cup. And I just sort of like, oh, that's just a perk for when I show up that the World Cup is on. And when I when I flew here, well, I knew that there would be a party and I liked to party. I loved to party and I liked having fun and I liked meeting new people. So I thought, well, that this is going to be cool. Uh, but when I flew in, I didn't realize that the next day would be uh, the South Korea versus Italy in the, what was it, quarterfinals? In the, in the quarterfinals, I believe. Or was it the round of 16 or whatever? Um, anyways, it, it, was, it was just a big match for South Korea. And my friends like, hurry up and get here because if you can get to this, it's going to be mind-blowingly awesome. And it was. It was out of this world for for like a man coming from a small town in Saskatchewan amongst, you know, a hundred a hundred people to come and part to like get on a street of people cheering for their, their team with millions of people. It was just I, I my mind couldn't comprehend it actually. It was awesome. 
and I think that was one thing that seeded my kind of my interest for living in Asia for till now, you know, forever. It sounds like it. That definitely, that definitely is a similar experience to what um, a lot of folks have had. So you had your first day, and then when did you arrive at work? Uh, that would be Monday, and I probably started teaching on Monday too. How'd that, how'd that work out? Was there a training period? Did you just meet your boss and get thrown in the classroom? How exactly did you go about it? How did you feel on that first day? Uh, you know, I, my friend picked me up. He got me on the bus. So it was really the transition getting from, there was no anxiety from my door to the door to the school's door because my friend, he, he said he'd come pick me up walk me to the bus, get me on the bus, and everything. So it was really, really pleasant right from the get-go. And then when I got there, uh, there were other guys from the university that I went to because the head teacher at the time, he was recruiting guys from my university, which was a small tech school, and and I somewhat knew who they were. So we all hit it off really, uh, really quickly. They showed me my schedule. They let me watch or observe one or two classes. And then they said, you know, can you replicate that? Can you do that? And I just said, well, I guess so. And I just started doing it. So what were you replicating? Can you tell us a bit about how those classes were run? <clears throat> well, that goes a ways back. And it, it was really hard. Like, I couldn't replicate it, to be honest. Like, you know, I could see what was happening, but I didn't know what they were doing. I saw what I saw and what... What was happening were very different and I, I know that now but at the time it's like it, everything kind of looked easy because of whatever that teacher was doing and some of it looked like teaching looked very easy because some of the teachers were really good at what they did and the teachers who i observed were quite good at doing what they needed to do for the students and for them to maintain whatever teaching like environment that they wanted so classroom management, they had it. They knew their lesson, they had that. They knew their students, they had that. And those were the things that I did not have at all, which made it all so much more challenging. So you went into your first class and after only watching one or two classes, you said. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? Can you remember any specific anecdotes in that first week or maybe that first month of of teaching class and your, your first experience of it? Well, let me think a little bit about that. I remember going into class with a box, carrying the box up, and it was summertime, it was hot, and I, I'm not a big fan of the heat, and I, I remember, you know, trying to find the coolest area in the, in the classroom, and then I just stood under that and that, that, those were some of my basic needs. And then I just basically started talking loudly at the students and try to kind of interact with them as kids. And I would use language that maybe probably wasn't at the level that they were at. So it was kind of, but they were, they were, they were all wanting to know me or get to know me. They all wanted to, you know, talk to me and, and then, and I had my book, so I just opened up to page 10 and, and I just looked at the picture and started talking about the picture. Is this uh, elementary school? No, this was kindergarten. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> started with kindy. Yeah, I started with kindy. But, you know, when I was 22, I had so much energy. Like, I could go day in, day out. Well, I did go day in and day out for five years teaching kindergarten kids because, because of their energy and because the energy that I could also bring to that classroom. And now, as a 40-year-old as a teacher, I would tackle it in a different way. I would address teaching totally different. But then, at that point, you know, it was, it was all about, I just loved the energy. The, 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 they were just so interested in being there. Yeah, I didn't realize you were teaching kindergarten. Now, was that what, the full kindergarten program? So your typical, like, nine to... Yes, I taught four classes in the morning, four 40-minute classes in the morning. And uh, I remember when the bell rang, the first, like, break period rang, I, I just kept going because I didn't know there were break times. <laughs> and then the student's like, teacher, teacher, play, play, teacher. And I'm like, play? You want to play a game? All right, let's play a game. <laughs> wow. No, 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 break, break, play. Oh, I'm like, and then some other teacher, like, I saw some other teacher walk by. I'm like, ah, break time. Cool. We get those here. <laughs> so you ended up working at that school with your friend for the first year or the first five years? Uh, my friend wasn't as interested in teaching kids as I was. He was... He, he didn't do the whole, he couldn't entertain and manage them at the same time. He, well, that was his biggest challenge for him. So he, he moved off after his first year contract to a, a, a university or to a high school, not high school, but a, a young adults type position. Okay. Can you tell us a bit about that first year? It sounds like you had a great experience that you really opened yourself up to it. Were there any moments when you experienced culture shock or were there any moments when you when you relived kind of that first day of awesome, that first day of that World Cup game and you realized, oh, this is another awesome day and this is another reason why I'm going to You know, when everything is new, then you're so open to everything. Okay, I think one of the main reasons why I enjoyed my first year so much is because I was open to everything. You know, if somebody said, do this, I did it. If somebody said, don't do that, well, I may or may not have done it. But uh, it, it was just the, I had a good attitude to to try to assimilate to how Koreans lived and how they talked and how they walked. And I wanted to be a part of it. So I ate chicken feet. I ate silkworms. I drank the soju. I would do everything and anything. And, and because it was all new, the first year just kind of went by so quickly it was unbelievably fast and then at the end of my first year because everything was so f different it just it felt like wow I, I i didn't do what i want thought i came here to do so i need to at least spend another year to get some of the the, the experience that i thought i was going to get out of it because like, i couldn't process everything at at the start to be honest now, where were you that first year? You were in Central Seoul? I was in Gangnam. Wow. Which, I was just in Gangnam the other day. Uh, my old friend from the same job, we, we, walked, we walked all around the entire neighborhood. And I was kind of sad because everything had changed. Yeah, please tell me about Gangnam in 2002. Because I'm so interested in how quickly um, Korea and a lot of these places have felt. Well, it's... <sighs> 
I mean, the shops are all different. The marketing is all different. The way people drive and walk are all kind of different. And now it, it, it's, it's more, it's, it's become modern. And a lot of these, a lot of the shops used to be mom, pa. Like they used to be just run family run businesses. Now they're all, they all seem to be franchises with big names behind them. And even if these big names aren't global names, they're still well-known franchises within Korea. And I kind of miss that, but it is a lot cleaner and it, uh, well, cleaner as in, as in, you know, they, they take care of their trash a lot better, but it's always been, I've, I've always found Korea pretty clean, to be honest. But there's l less and less like authentic looking <laughs> Korean restaurants with a small little kitchen in the back and movie poster decorations and stuff. Now, like Korean, Korean restaurants are all, they're all beautifully designed. Well, like just well thought out designs. Before it was just some tables in a room with a menu written on it. And that's funny. That's this whole menu thing is something that I think about quite often because what I don't know anything about the food. I don't know anything about how to read the alphabet. I don't know what is what how to order the food that I want. So what I did is every day at lunchtime, uh, I went across to the same restaurant and I systematically went from the first thing on the menu to the last thing on the menu. And because I couldn't read it, I had to I had to find I had to teach myself ways to memorize what I liked and why I liked it. So one of them had like a piece of fly poop over top of it. And I'm like, I like fly poop number three, that one. And I would always, I'd point to that one because I couldn't read it. And then when I started learning how to read the language, I was I was reading the, the menu from right to left and the menu was written from top to bottom i'm like what is kim boo yeah you know whatever it said because they weren't real words so i was like this makes no sense compared to my korean class or my korean book and i'm like oh. and then i finally somebody told me dude it's up and down i'm like boom wow how could i not have seen that and that's what i mean about like not being able to take like when you're when you're when there's so many new things happening, you can't always see the obvious. <laughs> so real quick, Red, uh, favorite food from your first year? Oh, at that restaurant, they had some really good kalbi tongue. Uh-huh. But my, I, I like that, and I like the, uh, what is it, takbokum tongue? But at that time, it wasn't called takbokum, it was takdori tongue. Taktori tang. No, what? What is? It? I think that's right. I think it's taktori tang. I think. Yeah, taktori tang. Right. Now it's called takbokum tang. They they changed the name because of some reasons. With uh, I don't know. I I might have an idea, but I'm not too sure. Treading carefully, I see. Yeah. Yeah. What's this? So, if I can jump in, Red, uh, you seem like a kind of a pretty positive, optimistic person and i'm curious i want to stay in the first year or two frame here um but there's a lot of people i think that have this kind of love or hate relationship um in korea did you have any experience there in seoul where you met 
other expats or teachers that were kind of like cynical or anti-Korea? Did you have any any struggles there, or were the most people you met really excited as, as you were? Um. Well, I always believe that there's there's people on both sides of that coin, and and that I didn't really have. I was somebody who went everywhere and was kind of known in Korea at the time as like a the big cheerleader guy. He he's always there, and I I went a lot of places by myself, so I was always meeting new people, and because I was so outgoing and because I was meeting new people all the time. I, I, I kind of found crowds who would accept me or not accept me based upon their similarities. And I didn't really hang around with too many negative people because that's not the vibe I wanted. And I had no reason to maintain relationships with people who didn't really like it. And a lot of the teachers at that time at my school or at the school, they even if they were negative, their contract finished and they were gone within a few weeks of from when I arrived and then a lot of the new teachers who came in from there they were all kind of like me all what you know wide-eyed and looking for new adventures but I have a feeling that 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 sort of that 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 has changed a lot because you know these days I walk down the street and I see new people and nobody even says hi anymore and it's kind of and it saddens me a little bit that once upon a time everybody if you saw somebody else who spoke english they were all hey who are you where do you live i noticed you around you want to go have a drink at the local hof and now it's like people walking down the road listening to their their iphones and their podcasts and their and their whatever channel they're on youtube it's just more isolation a little bit but back in the day before pre-social media pre-smartphones and we we're all it was just very very engaging with everybody so how did people uh how did you get out and meet people how did you socialize at that point because um when i arrived um i think it was pre-smartphone as well but people were starting to use facebook groups to find other teachers in their town how Dave's about, ESL. Uh -huh. I went. Okay. I went to Dave's ESL and I said, "Hey, I have inline skates. Does anybody want to inline skate with me one day?" And I got a few. A few people said, "Sure, let's go out." And we went out to a park, and I saw some guys playing inline hockey. And I said to them, "Hey, can I play inline hockey with you?" And they're like, "Yep." And we started. You know, it was just. It's very much. You know. Hey, how are you? Can I do something? Can I hang around with you? And and people would say, yeah, sure. Which kind of seems like the opposite these days. Is like, no, if we're not Facebook friends first, I will not even sort of talk to you. But I don't know. That was, I I can't really speak for present day because I only meet Facebook friends. <laughs> so what did the week look like? I'm really interested in that because I think when I first came here, people divided their their lives supporting the days of the week. In terms of social outings, like Thursday we're gonna have a small outing at some Gipsal restaurant. Friday we're gonna go down to some dance club or something. Saturday we're gonna go walk around Seoul. So was there any type of pattern or, or any type of regular plans that you guys had at 2002 Gangnam? I I liked random. 
I liked I liked random. I liked meeting a lot of new people everywhere and always getting phone calls from people who I didn't know saying some speaking to me in some language that I could hardly read or understand, but but always ended up somewhere doing something with them. So I never was the kind of guy that always went to the same place at the same time always because my friends were always kind of changing and always always growing always morphing into something else like of course we had our like after work sort of like restaurants that we went to in the neighborhood but you know many days of the week we were going off to you know for different neighborhoods to check out different things because every neighborhood in Korea was famous for something. And when I talked to all the local people, they always took me to these different neighborhoods because they wanted to show me their favorite food and they wanted to see my reaction to eating that food. And I just followed and I just did it. Oh, that's fantastic. The food is one of my favorite parts. <laughs> so I guess, how did your first year develop into the first five years. I think that's a good way of thinking about it. Well, that's easy. Um, the first five years, well, the first year was like, did I enjoy the work? You know, was I, was I feeling happy with my job? And I was, you know, and I was working really, really hard, teaching a lot of hours, but I was really, really happy working with the students that I was working with. And the, and the management was always in a supportive, position for for the teachers at the school you know they they helped us out in every way that we in most ways that we needed and i never really felt homesick i never really wanted to eat food from my home country just because i knew there was going to be only a year so when you tell yourself it's only a year you know you'll try and do anything because you don't know if you're going to have that opportunity again so i learned as much korean as i could well that's question. That's subjective. But <laughs> I, I went out and I went to as many cities as I could. I went to as many parks as I could. I played inline hockey as much as I could because it was pretty big back then in Olympic Park. And you know, it was, it was really, it was, it was, you know, I, yeah. I kind of got lost in thought there. Sorry. So, no, that's all right. So how many, how many years did you end up staying with that school or with that academy? Five years. And you were teaching kindergarten the entire time? Yes. And you were talking about how you saw people come and go and come and go and everybody was constantly changing. How did you decide that, you know what, this is my time to go? Uh, I don't think I ever came to that conclusion, not from Korea, but from um, my school was kind of uniquely different. And I think at that time, the management, the Korean management, it in he empowered us to the degree that he felt like we had some autonomy over our jobs and a lot of the teachers in that first five years they had stayed for more than three four years themselves so i had i was able to actually make some longer term friends within korea and that was one of the main reasons why i wanted to stay at that job but I did come to a point where I had to change because what I, what, where I wanted to go with my job and what I could do at my job, it, there was just a barrier that I couldn't, that the director at that time, and 
at that time could not cross. So we had to, you know, we had to uh, split. And to be honest, I was getting jealous at all the new public school jobs that were opening up with, you know, teach, teaching four or five classes a day versus nine classes a day. And I was kind of like, mm, I need more time to focus on on the craft because I realized that after five years, I'm like, I, I really liked what I did and I wanted to get better at what I did. But the only way that I thought I could get better was to have more time to reflect upon what I needed to do to get whatever I wanted done. Whereas in the hog ones, in, in at that hog one, it's like, here's your book, get into class and do what you do. So you had to become good at it really fast or else you just couldn't do it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I never thought about it like that. So you decided to move into the public school program. Yes. Now, how'd that process go? Were you able to select your school at that point? Because it seems to change every year. Sometimes it's a lottery system where you apply and you get positions somewhere. And sometimes you actually get propositions by a school in a specific location that you want to go teach in. Well, honestly, at that time, I think my ego was really quite high and I thought well I had five years of experience and I was a head teacher and I had done all these cool little things for my school that I thought I could probably get a job anywhere and uh and I when I applied for the Gangnam school the it 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 really sort of like it took it from like it, it added a new layer of like no this is like a real profession and what I have had done before wasn't really enough to to solidify any sort of you know professionalism with, for me. So I'd have to up my game with the new within the new ecosystem of the public school uh, or the certain teachers, the teacher training that they provided at at the Gangnam centers. So you applied at Gangnam, and they, they did yeah. I only applied for one job because I was. I, I really, I was actually, I didn't want to take any job because, because I know I've heard a lot of bad stories and I knew a lot of people who had worked at a lot of different jobs and that they weren't satisfied with those jobs. And I was very like, I was scared that I was going to end up at a job that wouldn't allow me to do the things that I wanted to do. So, but I was just so thankful that I got the job that I did. And I think one reason why I got the job was, was the loyalty I had for that school was five years, which at that point in time was, was unheard of, especially a school like Wonderland, or I shouldn't say that online. Um, well, I don't mean anything bad, but Wonderland was known for longer work hours and I was working longer work hours. So, and, and I, I enjoyed working because I enjoyed teaching, but I wouldn't, I don't really like that anymore. And that's why I transitioned to the, uh, to the public school. And I did have a lot more opportunity to, to do the things that I needed to do, but I'm just very fortunate. I got that job. Very fortunate. So where did you end up teaching in public school? Uh, only like 10 minutes from my first job. Oh, so so you, I, did, you did get the Gangnam job. I did get the Gangnam job and it was only 10 minutes away from, from where I used to live. And I had a motorcycle and I just zipped back and forth between me and my old friends and my old school. And, and it was, yeah. So I ended up, even though I had two jobs that I only lived in Gangnam for, for when I lived in Seoul. So could you talk a, bit, a little bit about 
how 2005, your first job in how Korea was so different than this next stage in your life? Well, the biggest difference was like how I felt towards the job. You know, when my, in my first five years, I was all about teaching in a way that made it as easy as possible so that I didn't have any stress from the students, but in a way that the kids, you know, learned a lot from, but I wanted to keep it very, um, basic. Even the kids were not basic because they, they were studying a lot from high school, but I wanted to make it something that I could do automatedly. Like every time I went to class that I could perform at a certain level every time. I didn't always have to reinvent worksheets and whatnot because it was just the, the, the working hours was just too high to do a lot of cool things. So I, I had like 10 go-to activities that I learned to adapt to the content and I just went in day in and day out. Whereas my next job allowed me a lot of flexibility to try and reflect upon the activities that I was doing because I would take one lesson and I would do it six times versus the hog one, I would do one lesson one time. So how long did you stay at that next job? Red? Another another five years. Wow. Because then I what I wasn't interested in looking for other work because, you know, they met the needs that I had. Well, yeah, it's just that, you know, as you say, there are a lot of horror stories and and there are a lot of people that, you know, end up shuffling around because they they don't find that job. But it sounds like you found two really solid positions there. Was I... that a public elementary school? Yes, it, well, it, public elementary school, but at that time, and the things have, may have changed, but it was for the Gangnam district only. So Gangnam had its own sort of English um, English division that was different than the rest of Korea. Okay. And on top of that, I was given a position at a learning center, something that they were just opening up. And they needed somebody with a creative background that could teach a variety of different thematical lessons. And, and that's one reason why I got the job is because I was coming from the Hogwan where it was very, that's what it was based upon were all these themes. Mm -hmm. So they liked how my, my, my content knowledge of these other materials that I taught aligned to the goals of the school. All right. Um, so, Red, I got to take off here. I'm going to leave you with Steve, but it's been a pleasure. And uh, I hope we get to chat with you again. And oh, let, me, let me ask one real quick, quick question here, a bit off topic, because uh, I made some notes here. Uh, do people still back? Do people back home still say to you, Rhett, when are you coming back to real life? When, uh, and do no. they still talk to you as though you're on some sort of, you know, not no. really working? No. No, we don't talk about. We don't kind of. We don't really talk about those kind of things because people aren't really, you know. The stories have changed. The people have changed. Now, like I'm approaching 40 and when I get together with my old friends, it's more about getting back to where we used to be when we were younger. So our shared experiences. 
So and when I go home, mm-hmm. I talk to friends and family about anything shared between us. And that way, it's it's just more fun. We laugh more. Great. Yeah, I'm just curious. I've been here eight years myself. and I, uh... Well, I've got kids and and people talk about kids now. Like I hang around with a bunch of married people and we talk about our kids. <laughs> and then we might have a few beers and the, the subject matter changes after the kids go to bed. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, Steve, can I uh, pass the ball to you here? I guess I'll head out. Yeah, I think our listeners will be very understanding. We're all teachers. We're all on that grind. So go ahead and go ahead and get those classes. Me and Rhett will continue on having fun. Yes, sir. Adios. Bye-bye. So, Rhett, you were talking about this this new public school job, and I think that's really interesting to me because I still can't fathom working in ESL before I came over. I'm, I'm kind of small-minded. I came over in 2012, 2013. So you were in Gangnam already with five years' experience teaching at that public school. What was it like? And really, what was the, te- the classroom experience like? And then also, I'm really curious about the relationships that you developed at that public school. Well, I developed quite a few relationships and both positive and negative because um, public schools are run by governments. So what mean like the policies, they come from the top, from the very, very top. And you and and everything, everything comes top to bottom and, and you cannot change any of that. So if they if the government cuts your program, you're out of work or you have to change your job or if they if they they uh, they have a certain process for what you need to do then you need to follow that process so one of the things i really disliked was that i i had 10 years of or i had 5 to 10 years of experience working there but i was always working for um my co-teacher who had less teacher less experience than me and it was really sometimes hard to to say this is what we should do based upon what we've learned and then have be, then being told that we can't do that because this is what the the people upstairs are asking us to do and then well sh- they wouldn't always fight for it or you know try to make it happen because of where they stood in you know on the ladder of progress so you can't you can't do you 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 know you have a circle of influence and you cannot over you can't step over the boundaries of your influence and that was really tough working at the public school because you just this is where you are this is where you will be and this is forever how it's going to be when you're working here and then so sometimes it's like you hit that ceiling and you're like you're being squeezed because you can't really do anything more but when you know, but you could have a great experience working within that system, but you can't. It's sometimes hard to break out of it, and that's why I had to. That's why I decided to leave that job because, because the job disappeared because the government um, changed uh, the the funding to my school's uh, services, and then they made were going to make me. Uh, a regular teacher teaching regular national curriculum. I had no interest in teaching that national curriculum because I was coming off of a five year, I was 
I had spent five years developing my own curriculum for their learning center at the time. And I wanted to continue to teach that, but the center was being was being removed from the school. So I had no choice. So what, the, so what did I, what could I do? And well, I had to make really some big choices. Can you explain that to me really quickly? So they offered you basically the job as uh, teaching the same I, curriculum that a Korean English teacher would teach? Yeah, yeah. They have their national curriculum book, which a lot of teachers teach. And I had the choice. I, I could teach that if I wanted to renew my contract. But because of the government also decided to to cut um, to cut money to the program. So I actually was going to be losing my salary was going to be coming down and my vacation time was going to be coming down as well. So I was going to lose vacation and salary. Now at that time, I, I would guess that your life was changing too. Wasn't it about that time in that second job at that public school where you, you maybe have met your wife and you were thinking about family at that point? Well, I wasn't thinking about family, but I was thinking about getting married because yeah, I was, I was getting older. I had, I had a girlfriend for, for two years and, and suddenly it's like, well, what's, what do I want from my life? You know, like, where do I want to be and, and who do I want to be with? And, uh, I need to start investing in who I want to be here in Korea. And it took some, it actually, it, it wasn't really scary because I didn't really know what I was getting into. And, you know, and it's, it's, it, which is, and sometimes like uncertainty can be two things. It can be on one hand, it can be the scariest thing in your whole life or because you just don't know, you just don't have the awareness of what it really means. It can be really easy and you can just jump right into it. And I've kind of have a trend in my life where I just kind of jump into things without overly thinking about it too much because because I don't know if I'm thinking about it in a right way or a wrong way. So I might as well just get in, get my toes wet. So I got married and then, and then I talked to my school and I signed one last contract with them to kind of give me uh, an hour, a, a year to, to think about how I wanted to transition to the next stage of my life as a more experienced teacher in Korea. And I knew that I didn't want to go for a university because I would need to get my master's, which I didn't have. Um, and I still actually don't have. So I needed, I thought the best bet was to start up a hogwash, but I had no experience doing that either. So I decided to start a study room because, well, basically I met a guy who said, listen, don't start a hogwash, start a study room. You can do everything you want to do in a study room without all the, uh, with all the, without all the headaches of managing people. I said, all right, that sounds good. So I just took it as advice and was open to that and went with it. And to be honest, I feel like my ego would have led me astray if I had, I have opened up a hog one, whereas I needed this time to learn the new skills that I needed to run the school more effectively. And that those skills, I didn't really have at that time. So it's been nice to be able to grow with my school at a skill set that allowed me to make mistakes and grow. Definitely, definitely. And I think if you wouldn't mind, I just wanted to revisit this one idea. It sounds like, you know, when we come to Korea, 
there are these different points in our life that we experience and they're made that much more interesting because we're experiencing them in a different country and a different culture. So you had your your young professional, young bachelor life with the academy and then you got a bit older, a bit more mature and you started wanting to do different things out of your life. Yeah, I wanted really more fun. professional development. I wanted to t t take it more seriously, yes. How did you perceive those? Did you perceive those or did you experience them as you know, life moments or do you experience them as a life abroad moment? I'm really curious if you were aware of what exactly was going on and how, how you experienced what you knew. I, I actually think it wasn't that I had any awareness at all. I like, I may have seen writing on the wall, but I really didn't know how to interpret it. But all I knew is that, um, all I knew is that I had to solve the, the the challenge that was in front of me at that moment, and I knew, like I may have continued working at this public school system had I have been able to keep the original job. So had they have not canceled that job, I may never have switched. Had I have not switched, I may not have had the opportunity to start the school, my school, when I did. So, it you know, in hindsight, sometimes it's it's easy to say this was kind of like a, a turning point in my life. But at the time, I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to put all my experience and all my knowledge and all my desires into, uh, into a solid plan, lifestyle plan, because I wasn't designing my lifestyle. I was designing my work. And now I look at it now that I'm older and I have family and I have to control my time, my, my income and everything and my health, I, I look at more of it like how, how can I design my life around my work, not how do I design work around my life. Or no, no. I design my life around the things that I need and work is only one small aspect. But when I was younger, I, everything was based around my job. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. And so you ended that job after that last contract and you went and you opened a study room where? Uh, near, near Yongin, uh, in Yongin, near Seoul. Uh, where is that I, I was Gangnam? What's this? Uh, it's, it's near Everland. So if you got on a bus on at Gangnam station, you would get to my house in about 40, 40 minutes on express bus so it's not far at all well relatively speaking couldn't walk it so i think you you mentioned there towards the end so we were talking about how you came here your life here and how you eventually progressed into a study room owner and a study room is basically an academy inside a residential property so inside of an apartment would be how most people would do it and i think our listeners might not know but you're probably one of the most influential people for study room owners especially foreign-run study room owners in South Korea. Red <laughs> That's because I talk a lot. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I ran an adults-only academy, and once I discovered Red's community on Facebook, he started a, a Hagwon startup or a study room startup community on Facebook for foreigners like myself and Hal who want to open up their own businesses here and want to go from that from that place of being an employee to a business owner in Korea. And he made this great community online and everybody's really openly shared information and openly shared their experience. So I'd really love to talk to you next time about that because 
to our listeners, Rhett's definitely one of the most influential guys in how to step from an employee into a business owner, especially in Korea. And, and one of the reasons why I started the group is because I was very serious on what I needed to do. Like, it, 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 it kind of became, like, real. Like, that's when the transition went from, like, like, this is, like, my job to know this is who I am. And then this is what I need to do to make my life resonate with how I want to live it. And I needed to learn everything that I needed to learn. And I needed to make and i needed to see it through the lens or through the perspective of how to make it successful in the easiest or least least hurtful way like in the fastest most i'm sorry i'm having a hard time coming up with words but you know in a way that was that offered that provided me clarity and confidence and when you when you're just starting something new often we don't have the clarity and confidence that we need to be able to do it effectively but only through trial and error and through help from others can we do it in a more sustainable way absolutely absolutely i think what you've done what year did that group start what what year was that i think about four years ago yeah so let's go and ballpark it at 2014 what you did with that group from 2014 up to today, it's really, I think, responsible for so many English teachers in South Korea moving from being academy owner or academy teachers and public school teachers, maybe even university teachers, into you know, opening up study rooms, opening up academies, and building up revenue streams either as their main source of income or as a side source of income to really change how they're able to live. And they're no yes. longer dependent on these jobs. They're no longer dependent on, you know, government programs that may or may not be canceled. I think it's really, really fascinating. And that's that's the thing. Like, you know, when you're working for somebody else and these one-year contracts, they're great. They're awesome for when you want that high mobility in your life. But when you need some security and stability, you can't always get it from other people. You have to become responsible for who you are, what you want, and where you want to go. And and by starting up your own little teaching business, and I think I, I, I think you could do that at any stage of the game, depending on where you, what you want to do and how you're going to do it. That these days with all the technology and things, like you could build up and sell lesson plans. You could um, teach online. You could do a lot of different things that kind of like that you know buffered you from the influences like the government or your director at your school definitely so i guess um this will kind of be our prequel episode into the life of brett burton and then we'll go (laughs) to a sequel about the the hog one startup facebook group and and your life as a study room owner um you good to do this again sometime this week sometimes this week uh next week in the week in the next week all right good good yeah, I think our, our listeners will definitely love that. Um, so, guys, I'd like to say thank you to Rep Burton for coming on here and chatting with us. Yeah, it was it was great to be here. Thank you for the invite. I always appreciate talking with people who are kind of curious of the 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 long term investment in 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 this world of teaching, because we often when we're when we're first starting out, 
off in these careers, we don't know exactly where it's going to lead. And we're, we don't know what's going to happen, and but it happens nonetheless. And we have to be we have to be prepared for it at different stages, and we have to make decisions based upon what we think are best for us. Absolutely. So guys, stay tuned. I've just got Rhett to promise that he'll be back on here next week. <laughs> so we'll try and produce another podcast to follow up to this. Um, I didn't mention any of our freebies this week. I'll throw them in the links below and I'll sully this podcast one last time with a shameless promotion. Go to Houndscape English, get that free monthly membership. I'm sorry, free first month membership. And then uh, if you don't like it, you can quit. All right, see you guys next time. Yep, bye-bye.